the Oak Point West Bloomfield podcast. We're a community of people who keep it real and believe that the gospel is such good news, and we hope we can encourage you along the way as we pursue Jesus together. Church West Bloomfield, how's everybody doing this morning? All right, all right. Hey, I'm Joe Seastad. I'm lead pastor here, and we're in a book in of the Bible, a book of Romans, and we're calling this series Forgiven because really the central theme, the thing that we've got to hold on to is the reality that we are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, that he went to the cross for us. He died for the sins of those who would commit their lives fully to him. And because of that, we're forgiven. It's this great hope as we read this book. You know, last week was a difficult week. You probably left here uh, most of the sermon feeling the weight of sin because we were talking about how, or we, we were talking actually about why God judges, why God judges. You know, our God is a perfect God, perfectly holy and righteous. And the reason why he judges from, we, from what we saw last week is because God has chosen to reveal himself through creation, and yet we worship and honor created things. We saw that. We also saw how God has chosen to reveal himself through commands, through things that he's told us, and yet we pursue forbidden passions. We saw that last week. And last week we saw how God has chosen to reveal himself to our conscience, that, that we know right from wrong, because God has written that on our hearts and our minds, and yet we we pursue irrational thinking. We commit irrational sins, things that don't even make sense, me included. Like nobody is free of this because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We realize that the only solution is that we need Christ. We need the perfection of Jesus Christ to save us from the sin that we all commit because we all deserve God's wrath. We all deserve God's judgment. And we'll talk a lot about that in the first couple of chapters of this book, is that if you don't realize the need for a Savior, if you don't realize the weight of your sin, there you'll have no appreciation for, for Jesus. And that's what Paul is doing as he's unfolding this book to us. The book of Romans is foundational for our faith. People will say that if you understand this book, if you get this book in you, it will help to unlock the, the, the passageway to the rest of the scriptures for you. This book is something that we want to bring in through our life groups so that as we're talking throughout the week, we are growing day by day more into the image of Jesus. It's that important for us to understand. As we started this book last week, in chapter one, Paul was writing in the third person, plural, like they, there, he was talking as if sort of everybody is all included because everybody commits sins. In the second chapter, Paul's gonna switch from the third person plural to the second person singular, you, yours, your. He's gonna be bringing it directly to his audience. His audience that he was writing to at this time were the Chris, Jewish Christians who were living in Rome. They had been in Rome without an apostle visiting there and probably without a shepherd, without a pastor. And he's writing this, them this dense letter in lieu of him being able to physically be there. <clears throat> and in chapter two, he's gonna change directly and come kind of right at them. So as we brace for that, I just wanna tee up this 
scripture that we're going to get into today, looking at Romans chapter two in the first three verses. It says this, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And that's the kind of key lead-in verse. Do you you suppose, sir, do you suppose, madam, that you, it says, who practice such things and do them yourself, that you're going to escape God's judgment? Is that your assumption? And, And that's where Paul leads us. And I want to start off with this claim. It's this, that the rules pertaining to God's judgment are incredibly clear. God is not out to fool anybody. He's not out to trick you. He's not out to pull the bait and switch. He's not out to exclaim one thing and then do something different. God is very clear. He has come to us. He has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. He has revealed himself through his word. He has revealed himself through his commandments. He's revealed himself through our conscience. He's revealed himself through the creation so that nobody is with excuse. God's not out to trick anyone. You know, we've become a gymnastics family in our home. We've got our daughter, Gabriella, and she like has taken her natural skill with gymnastics and combined with coaching and a lot of hard work, she's gotten really excellent. And it's kind of cool, you know, we'll go to gymnastics and we're like totally oblivious to the sport. There's some people in this room that really understand gymnastics. That's not me. Like I don't get the sport at all. And so it'll kind of go like this, where everything seems so hidden to me. The rules like don't make any sense at all to me. So I'll be watching my beautiful daughter do a, a, a routine, maybe like the um, the beam. And she's really good at the beam. There's like very little margin for error. I mean, you you have like just a couple of inches. You got to get those like feet right here. And she'll do like crazy things. Like she'll spin like around on the beam, somehow not falling off. And then she'll like do this thing called a TikTok where she'll like go back and like go touch her hands on, on this side of the beam, then like come back on this side. And then she'll like end the routine with like this beautiful dismount coming down, sticks the landing, does one of these. And I'm like in the stands doing one of these, you know, cause I'm like 10.0 for sure. There is no way that's not a 10. And then like a few seconds later, it flashes on the screen. It'll say like 9.800. And I'm like, huh, like that doesn't make any sense to me. And a little later, like after the meet, she'll come up to us and explain, oh yeah, it's because I got a 10th off right here and I got another 10th off right here. She knew exactly why she got the points off, but me as the parent, it looked perfect to me. It looked like flawless. And it's because she, as a gymnast and her coaches who are excellent, they train to the scoring system of the judges. They know exactly the difference between a 10.000 and a 9.800. You know, as we convert that over to the gospel and to God and the way that he judges, the reality is that every sin, every sin, deserves the judgment of hell. 
And, and if you're like, whoa, we got real serious real quick. We were just talking about gymnastics. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the truth. Like, it's super easy. Like, the scoring system is not out to fool anybody. Like, one lie, one theft, one adulterous thought, one anger towards somebody else, one jealousy, one envy, any of those things, any time that you have not taken God for his word and have chose to go it alone, any of those things, any one of them actually deserves judgment in hell. God has a perfect 10.000 standard for anybody to make it into heaven. Because our God is a righteous and just God. Our God is infinitely holy. We saw last week how, you know, just a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And what that means in the Bible, that verse, is that just a little bit of sin, just a little bit of corruption, just a little bit of something I've done wrong in an oopsies, a little bit, it ruins the whole kingdom of God. And God loves us so much. And he has such a perfect plan for us when we reach eternity with him that he does not want to have us at all marred at all by the presence of sin. His standard is perfection and any sin deserves hell. And often what we do is we, as a world, as a culture, claim ignorance. And the problem is that ignorance of God's rules isn't a viable excuse. God has made it so crystal clear. The word that we read that's the highest circulating book of all time is available and it's been available for a couple thousand years. And then the Old Testament scriptures that point to it and, and all these other ways that God has chosen to reveal himself that we've spoken about already, there's no excuse. It's crystal clear so we can't claim ignorance. And so today we're going to look at how to know the rules pertaining to how God judges. Last week was about why God judges. This week is about how God judges. With my hope for you today in prayer is that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will absolutely irritate you today. <laughs> I pray that you will be disturbed today in this message as we look at the Word of God. I pray that you will have a holy discontent and you will realize that you must do something with that level of apprehension that you have, that you are under condemnation and you need a solution to your sin. Because there is a solution, it's Jesus. And I hope today that you're convinced of that, that somehow God does that in your heart. For those who are believers, my prayer is that you will again appreciate the value of the cross that you will know that we're spared from the condemnation of hell, that we've been given freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that you will also realize today that you will face judgment. As a believer, you also will face judgment, and it's going to be a lot better than, um, than you think. We're going to be rewarded for certain th things. So we'll see how God judges by looking at a few characteristics today. That's where we're going. Let me pray. God, this is heavy text. The book of Romans is 
given for us as a gift. We thank you for using the Apostle Paul and speaking your inspired word through him. Every word that we read is inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so, God, as we come to this second chapter and look at the rest of it and how you judge, Lord, I pray that we will be changed somehow today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The first characteristic of how God judges is that God's judgment is inevitable. Verse 4, continuing on in this argument, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Under the category of God's riches, we hear about three different riches that we have that I would all call common grace. Common grace, things that God has chosen to give everybody in the world, no matter if they're a believer in Christ or not. Things that just because you are alive, you get to benefit from. Things like the air that we breathe, like the sun that grows things. All of these things on mind, these are products of God's common grace that you haven't done anything to earn it and you don't have it because of your faith. It's just something that everybody has. There are three more that are listed here. God's kindness towards us, his forbearance, and his patience. I want to unpack each of those. God's kindness, you really have to go back to the original language to understand that what we're talking here is the reality that God is such a good God. He's such a holy God. He's such a loving God. He wants so well for us that he extends his kindness to us beyond measure. Like he is so on your team. He wants such good for you that he just like has this abundance of kindness to give to us. That's kindness. Forbearance is a word that we typically don't use in modern day speaking, unless we're talking about like a student loan for forbearance, right? There's a period of time over the last few years where uh, the government decided to delay the payment of student loans for like two plus years. The technical term when... <clears throat> A collector decides to let it go a little bit longer until you have to pay something is forbearance. It means that there is a loan that is due and we are going to give you the benefit of time before you have to actually pay for it. So with God, forbearance is a richness of God's gifts to us, his common grace. We don't know when we will die. And we don't know when Jesus Christ will return, though it seems more apparent that the time is getting sooner. But we do have right now. You have the gift of this very moment right now, that even though you have sinned against a holy God, even though we are, as Christians even, living a life that is not indicative of the life that God has for us, we have this moment. The Bible says in Hebrews, we have today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You have this very moment. The fact that you have this moment right now is forbearance. Because there's something due. In fact, it says that, it says in this verse, in verse five that, let me read it here. It says, 
because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The, the loan doesn't go away. The, 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 the reality that we have all sinned against a holy God, and I'm speaking directly right now to those who have not turned to Jesus Christ as Lord, all right? So if that's you, listen up right now. Look, the fact that you haven't turned to Christ, you are storing up the wrath of God against yourself. And so many times what we do, and another word here that's used is patience, which is like the long suffering of God. What we do is we, we mistake these riches of God for lenience. We think, well, hey, he hasn't struck me down yet. Must be doing pretty good. But no, like you are storing up God's wrath against you. It's going to come due and at any moment without notice. It could come due. It could come in the form of you dying and, and standing before a holy judge. And it's too late at that point to change your ways or it come, could come due when Jesus Christ returns. Look, I'm not, I'm not just adding words here. I'm not making this stuff up. This is right from the word of God. It's very hard text, but it's because it's so important to understand the weight of your sin. And friends, look, there's no judgment in this room by like me or anybody here. Like the ground is level at the front foot of the cross, which is why I turned, you know, whatever number of years ago to Jesus Christ as Lord. I realized that, hey, I've got like something on my record that is going to come due. Like I've got the wrath of God being stored up. I need to turn to Christ and get down there and realize that he took it all for me at the cross. He paid the wrath that I deserve to pay there. So these are urgent words. These are, but these are rich words. The reality that God has been kind to us and given us forbearance and been patient with us. These are, uh, it's classified as the riches of God. And we, we think that because, see with the, with the gymna gymnastics, you know, when I'm watching Gabriella, I can see the judges like right there. Like, like they are right there. I can see the clipboards. I can see them looking. And even though I don't really understand everything that I'm seeing, like I, I don't know the difference between like losing a 0 0.3 for bent legs and a 0 0.1 for a tiny hop or a 0 0.1 for going out of bounds. Like I don't really, my eyes can't calibrate to it, but the judges are like right there. And they have eyes that are trained to see every mistake, every flaw. And they're like right there with the clipboard. We make the mistake that since our God is an invisible God, just on the other side of the physical, and we don't see him right in front of us with a clipboard telling us all the things that we've done, we, we mistake it and think like, oh, he must not care. I must be doing a pretty good job. No, it's very clear that God's judgment is inevitable. There's all, all times in the Bible, there's several examples in the Bible of how God chose to give his people the gift of his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience. And we see that on display, and then we see judgment happen as proof to the text that we just read. Think about the days of Noah. Noah was told by God to build an ark Noah was told by God that the earth had become corrupt. And so Noah built an ark. There's differences of how long it took, but let's say about 100 years. 
For a hundred years, Noah is building a large boat and he was a preacher, it says. He was a preacher. So he was speaking truths about this boat that he was building and people were looking at it like, what's that all about? Well, it's God's coming judgment for those that don't repent. And they, they saw him carefully building this boat board by board for like a hundred years. God allowed that time that was his kindness, that was his forbearance, that was his patience for people to turn and repent to the Lord. And at the end, when nobody did, God spared eight human beings. That's one example. Here's another example. Things really started to spiral downhill in the Old Testament after King Solomon. I mean, it got like rough out there. So story is Solomon, son of David. David was like the greatest king ever. Solomon prayed for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. And he was like the first part of his, his time as a king was like really good, you know, leading the people. And then Solomon started to get like all into the idolatry and lust of his own heart. He had like 700 wives, 300 girlfriends, uh, lots of children, and he was also worshiping false idolatrous gods, like the gods of the girls that he was with. And he had way gone against God, like really bad. And so then Solomon died and there was like judgment on him. There, there was, uh, you know, God, God showed that he was going to like bring about some accountability for the life that Solomon lived. And what happened was it divided the kingdom north and south. And then like king and high priest after king and high priest were generally terrible. Like most of them were like not adhering to the book of the law, the Torah. Most of them were like making false idolatrous altars on hills most of them were doing terrible sacrifices, sometimes even of children. They were like really bad for hundreds of years. So Solomon was like 950 BC, all the way up to like 587 BC, like almost 450 years or so. Just terrible. There's a few good kings and a few good high priests in there, but most of them just rebelled against God. And all this time, God is demonstrating his kindness, his common grace of kindness, forbearance, waiting, patience, long suffering of the Lord until finally judgment came. Second Chronicles 36 goes through the judgment time, verse 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on, on young man or virgin, old man or aged. <clears throat> he gave them all into his hand. So it says there that God gave, <clears throat> excuse me, that God gave them all into his hand. And last week we saw the same type of term, like God gave them up. And it's this reality that there was all of this time where God like protected his people. Like God placed his sovereign hand around the nation of Israel and Judah. 
They were split at that time. He kept sending prophet after prophet, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all these people were coming and they were like, hey, got to repent got to repent, judgment coming, got to repent, got to repent. Like, no, 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 we'll just keep doing whatever we want. And God's like continuing to protect them, like hold them away, you know, like make it so that their enemies stay away from them. And at first the Northern kingdom, um, Israel got lost to Assyria. They invaded and then like, it's just Judah with Jerusalem in there. And God's got his sovereign hand of protection, not allowing King Nebuchadnezzar to come in, not allowing the Babylonians to come in, just holding them there. Come on guys, it's time to repent. It's time to repent. The day is coming. It's coming. It's getting stored up. All of a sudden they like, just keep mocking at the prophets, scoffing at them, saying, no way I'm gonna do it my way. God's like, oh, there we go. Our God commits no evil. Our God is holy and righteous. He cannot sin and it is against his very nature. But what God does is when people continue, listen, when you continue to scoff at God, when you continue to be like, well, he's not there. I must be doing okay myself. When you continue to act ignorant and believe that there's an excuse for your madness, at some point, God is going to take his, his protective hand off of you and be like, all right, have it your way then. God's judgment is inevitable for those that don't turn to him. That's one of the ways that God judges. It's inevitable. You know, all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it talks about the day of the Lord. It talks about the day of the Lord. And there's also this idea of God's judgment day when we'll stand before him. Every person, it says, will stand before him. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready to stand before the judge and explain and give, and give you know, a, a clear account for your life. Are you ready for that day? It's inevitable his judgment is. That's one of the characteristics. The next one is this. God's judgment is not only inevitable, it will be individual. It will be individual. Verse six says this. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There'll be wrath and fury. And it says in verse six, he will render to each one. That infers that it's every single person. Every person, not because of your parents, not because of your religion, not because of your pastor, not because of your church, not because of your life group. Each person is going to stand before the Lord individually to give an account for your life. Romans, later, we're gonna see this chapter 14, starting in verse 10 says this, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us will be judged individually and there is no excuse. 
when you get before God, it's not the time to figure it out. When he, when you stand before him and you haven't turned your life to Christ, you're not going to make up an excuse that's going to get you out of trouble. I mean, what do you expect if you've lived a life that's been rebellious toward God? It's kind of like me, like trying to imitate this balance beam, you know, like, what do you, what do you think your life looks like? Are, are you thinking you're going to get a perfect 10 when you, when you come to the judge and, and you like do this dismount, like you appear before him and you're like, wah, you know, do you think he's going to be like, well done, great job, flawless, no. Every sin you are held accountable for. He's looking for a perfect 10 and none of us have lived up to that standard. Nobody is able to claim perfection in God's eyes. So there's going to be two types of individual judgment that occur. Two types. They will both be based on merits, on works. And here's how it's going to go. One type of judgment will be for unbelievers, those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They are going to be judged based on their own works. The Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. I'm going to stop right there. I'll come back to that verse in a second. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So those who have not trusted in Christ and are, you know, playing Russian roulette with their life right now, haven't put it all in with God, haven't turned to Jesus, haven't accepted the forgiveness that he offers you on the cross. It says that anything that you've done without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you will be held accountable for all of the negative works that you've done in this life. Any time that you've ever done anything sinful toward another person or toward God, you will be held accountable for that. And you will be judged on that. And the judgment will be eternity in hell. I know this is a tough message. I'm not making it up. I, I wish that I could just like put the Bible here. We could just read the Bible the whole time. Like th this is truth. This is truth. You will be judged based on your works and your works will lead you straight to hell. That's one type of judgment that will happen. The other judgment will be for all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. You also will be judged based on works. Who's not yours for the bad stuff? You will be judged based on the perfect works of Jesus Christ. His perfect merits, how he lived the 10.000 life. You will receive his judgment for a perfect life. It's as if when he died on that cross, knowing that you would trust in him, his perfect 10.00 was transferred over to your account. So as you stand here like this, it's not your works that are on display. It's Jesus Christ's work. And he will see you covered by his blood on the cross. And you will be deemed righteous in his sight without any sin. When the father sees you, friend, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus, 
He sees you right now as a perfect 10.000, flawless, not because of who you are, but because of what Christ has done. Because you chose to place your faith in Christ, you get his record credited to your account as if he was the one performing the gymnastics routine in your place. You get a perfect 10. But you will also be judged based on any work that you have done by the power of the Holy Spirit because you sought after God. It continues on this verse, Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please. So, okay, well, what if I do have faith? Well, here you go. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So when you stand before the judge, you will not be found guilty for any bad thing that you've done. You will get merits of reward somehow. It's kind of like a mystery of what that all looks like. Somehow you will be favorably, favorably viewed for every work that you have done in this life that has been a work of God as you've sought after him, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we live for the Lord. We work for the Lord. Somehow God will give us like abundant rewards based on the works of the Lord that we do in this life as we seek after him and his judgment will be individual. You know, there's another verse, there's several verses that talk about this idea of like getting rewarded in heaven. And I'm not an expert on it. Um, as you're doing your own studies, first Corinthians chapter three is another place to look. You know, it uses this idea of wood, hay, and, and uh, straw versus gold, silver, and precious stones. And, and the idea, the best I can understand is that when you stand before the Lord and, and you're in Christ, you're a believer, you've trusted in him in this earth, in this life, maybe today for somebody, you're gonna be viewed a perfect 10.000, Christ's righteousness without blame. But then when you stand and you're getting like judged on rewards, I think it's like this, that wood, hay, hay, and straw, those are gonna burn away. Those are things in this life that you did that, that weren't like seeking after the Lord, even though you're a believer. So it's not like you're gonna be penalized, you just won't receive the benefit is the way I interpret that. But things that are made of gold, silver, and precious stones, these are like, it talks about the foundation. These are things that the Lord can build up and, and they're rooted in Christ. I believe that those are the types of works that you will be rewarded for. Whatever you've done to seek after the Lord, God's judgment will be individual. So my question for you is how, how do you work? Are you working right now? Are the, the things that you're doing in an average week, are you doing them on your own or are you doing them empowered by the Holy Spirit? There's a difference. Are you doing them on your own? It's probably that wood, hay, and straw. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying that you're not going to heaven. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're a perfect 10. But if you're doing stuff on your own, you're not gonna receive the benefits of your good works in the Holy Spirit. It's like the wood, hay, and straw. Or are you doing work in the Holy Spirit, like empowered by the Lord, seeking after the Lord? Like I, you can say in like a calendar week coming up, hey, this thing I'm doing right here, circle it. I have the mindset, I'm doing that of the Lord. Or this thing that like life interrupts you this week, and you like get really humble and, um, and you apologize for something that 
you know you're in the wrong for? Well, that apology, that, that humility of Christ, like bending low before your brother or sister, like that's a work of the Lord. Like what things are you doing in life that are the work of the Lord versus your own work? That's our question for this because your judgment will be individual. You will speak to God about all those great works that you do as you've sought after God in doing them. So we've seen so far how God judges. God's judgment, it's inevitable. God's judgment will be individual. And then finally, God's judgment will be impartial. It finishes up here in verse 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. All throughout the Bible, we see the role of Israel within God's great plan. Now, remember that. Paul is writing this letter to a lot of Jewish Christians living in Rome. So these are people that are part of Israel, you know, like God's promises. And God chose, chronologically, I'm speaking, to have his first family on earth through the Jews. Started with Abraham. God made a covenant, a promise to Abraham and um, within that promise, there are some things that God has already fulfilled. There's other things that are yet to be fulfilled of the whole Abrahamic covenant. We'll go to that at some other time. God makes a promise through Abraham, starts his family on earth through Abraham. Abraham has Isaac. The promise goes to Isaac. Abraham or Isaac has Jacob. The promise goes to Jacob. And then Jacob has these sons, and these are the tribes of Israel. They become the heads of the tribes of Israel. And, and then the promise goes toward them also. And then it continues on through the Jews. God's promise always kind of first through the Jewish people, all right? Then when Jesus comes to the earth, Jesus's ministry was almost exclusively to the Jewish people first, chronologically. He went to them during his time on earth to share the good news, the gospel, give them a chance to receive the riches of his glory, revealed through the Son. Then when Paul came in his ministry, whenever he would go to a different town, we saw this throughout the book of Acts, he would always chronologically go to the Jewish people first. Usually it would be in their synagogues. He'd preach the gospel to them first in the synagogues. So the Jewish people were always intended to sort of get this blessing of God first. And chronologically, what it says here is that there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first. So here's the deal. God's judgment, because the Jewish people are first chronologically for God's blessings, they're also first chronologically for God's judgment. I don't know exactly the, the time when that all happens and everything, but we see here that it's for the Jew first. But here's the great reality. Even though that's all chronological, and even though there are some blessings of God that are yet to fully be consummated, those will happen at some point, I believe, to the Jewish people, the gospel is impartial. It's equal in priority for every person, Jewish person 
or it says Greek. Greek is really, you could transpose that to Gentile or non-Jewish person. So what's our, our view on that? And I didn't talk with her ahead of time, but there's a person in our midst, Cherie, who's a, a Jewish Christian, a Messianic Jewish person. It's awesome that God has brought her into our church. And, and here's the thing is like, when I meet another, uh, when I meet a Jewish Christian, I personally have like a lot of respect for Cherie and, and people like that. But it's not like Cherie has some special gift of the Holy Spirit that's different than the rest of us. It's not like she has some extra favor than the rest of us. Look, the Bible says in Ephesians that um, we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Cherie has every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because she's in Christ. I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm in Christ. There's no partiality. You know, it's kind of cool. You know, it's kind of cool to have a, a Messianic Jewish person in our midst. But here's the thing. God shows no partiality. God, there's not one single people group that God shows special favor toward. It's not like he's more lenient with this group than he is with this group. No, it's like the ground is level, folks, at the foot of the cross. Like we're all the same in Christ. We all receive the same beneficial judgment, not on our own merits for salvation, on Jesus's merits for salvation. And we get that abundance of God's grace, no partiality available for all. So as the band comes back up, look, we've seen how God's judgment, it's inevitable. It's in, it will be individual and it will be impartial. The bottom line is that God has given us time to know his rules for judgment. God has given us the benefit of today. We don't know if we have tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to walk out of here and not breathe another breath. That's the reality. You can't bank on your life. What you can know is you have this moment. You have today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And he's given us the time of today to know his rules for judgment. You know, something that um, God made very clear to me when I accepted him about 12 years ago, 13 years ago almost, is full assurance, 100% of my salvation. For some people, that's still a struggle. And I get that. Like, it's, it's hard to like fully, fully, fully trust of where we're going to be when we die. And that's normal. If you doubt that a little bit, it's okay. It's not, it's not like you're a bad person or anything like that. It's not like you're not saved. But I have full assurance that when I stand before the judge, that I will say I trusted in Jesus, that I'm covered by the blood of the lamb based on my faith. How about you? Do you have full assurance for judgment day? If that day were to happen today, do you have full assurance or are you fooling yourself with a dismount that you think is better than what it actually is? Look, 10.000, you're not going to get there on your own. You need the cross. You need Christ. So maybe today is the day to turn to Jesus and accept the forgiveness that he offers you on the cross. For the rest of us who are in Christ, 
who will you tell about the coming judgment? Look, I know that's tough. I know that goes against the grain of how we live as a culture. I know you're not thinking you're gonna be seen as a favorable human being when you go out there and start talking about the coming judgment of God. But here's the reality is that you aren't the judge and I'm not the judge. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are blind beggars who found food and we wanna lead other blind beggars to the food. So who will you tell this week about the judgment of God in a way that they can understand the weight of their sin and need for a savior? I wanna invite you guys to stand up and to bow your heads for prayer. I have a few questions for you. Even as believers and unbelievers in this room, it says there in the Bible, do you presume on the riches? That means, do we take for granted? Even as believers, we can take for granted the value of today, that God has been patient with us and kind and forbearing with us, even though we've messed up. So if today you're, it's just more present for you right now, the value of today, that as long as I have today, I'm not gonna harden my heart anymore toward God. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I see you guys, I see you. Maybe for somebody it's the reality that you know that God's judgment is individual. And now that you've started to think more about as a believer in Jesus, that your good works, the things that you've done when you've sought after God, maybe when nobody else sees it at all, you're like wondering, why do I keep doing this thing? And then it comes to you, it's because of God. I'm doing this thing even though I'm not getting any earthly credit for it, even though it seems like my life is harder because of it. Maybe it's that resistance of sin that nobody else even knows about. And you're like, it's because of God. I'm seeking after him. And today, as you think about that, realize, friend, that there is eternal rewards for you for that choice that you're making right now. If today you're feeling just more convinced of that and more committed towards that lifestyle, raise your hand. A lot of us. Finally, if maybe walking in those doors today, you, you couldn't have confidently been assured of your salvation, assured of what you will look like before the judge on judgment day, assured that when he sees you, you are gonna be a 10.000 based on the merits of Christ. And maybe now, maybe today, maybe God has spoken to you through his word and you realize that you need to turn to Jesus for the first time today. If that's you and for the very first time you wanna surrender your life to Christ, would you raise your hand? God, we praise you that you are merciful and that you are kind and that you are holy. God, we are so grateful for the cross. We are so grateful, Jesus, how you, the perfect one, laid aside your perfection and just like getting the credit for that. Instead, you went to the cross to take on our sins as if you committed them yourself, though you didn't. 
And you took that blame and that punishment, that consequence that we deserve to pay. And you forgave us there. And then Jesus, we thank you that you rose back to life from the dead and you defeated sin and the enemy's control over us. And that you gave us a better way through your gospel. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you that you are holy and righteous and good. In your name we pray, amen.